Welcome to this message from Eastwood Baptist Church, one church with two locations in Bowling Green and Alberton, Kentucky. To learn more, visit eastwoodbc.org. Now, may the Lord bless you in the hearing of His Holy Word. We all good evening. Grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What a timely passage to be in here as we come up on Easter Sunday. So 1 Corinthians 15. And uh, we were in this one beginning last week. We're going to be in it for a couple of weeks, actually, uh, at least one one more week. There is so much here. I mean, just it's loaded, chock full of good teaching that you and I need to grasp for our life, for our joy, for our hope, all the things that we need in Jesus. Because basically, when we think about Easter and the celebration of the resurrection, we see from this chapter that it's the crux of our hope in Jesus, right? It is the proof of our hope in Jesus. So grab your copy of God's Word, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Coming up on Easter, though, you're going to see a lot of stuff. Like, (laughs) it's always funny at Easter time, man, because that's when all the skeptical stuff comes on TV, right? You're going to watch the History Channel or or some of those things that you're going to see on there. And and a lot of those things are are, going to try to cast doubt, all right? Uh, A lot of folks call themselves Christians, but they don't believe the center, the center pole, right? The tent peg, the center tent pole of the Christian faith. And so some will say, is it essential? Is it really essential for Christians to believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Well, according to a poll, out just yesterday, for quote-unquote Christians, British Christians, Christians in the United Kingdom, they call themselves Christians, all right, people who identify as a Christian, only 46% of those polled and it was, a, it was a statistically big enough you know, uh, group there that they felt like they could really say something about, about society, right? But nevertheless, only 46% of the quote-unquote Christians in the United Kingdom believed that Jesus died and was resurrected. That means that 54% don't believe it. Now, it's interesting, as you dig a little deeper into the stats... They, they not only ask about, do you believe it? Do you consider yourself a Christian? And do you believe this? Then they ask another really important question. How many times do you go to church? <laughs> now think about this. When they started asking that question, what do you think the correlation was, for those of you that think statistically? The more the person went to church, what's that? 95% No, maybe. Not in England. They're Anglican there, right? Uh, so when you, think about, when you think about, just for instance, the more they go to church, how, how do you think their belief in the resurrection went? As, as church attendance went up, their belief in the resurrection went which way? Up. Oh, that's right. In fact, they found out that for a quote-unquote Christian, a self-identified Christian who goes to church at least once a month, well, the statistics rose to 80% then. But that still means, y'all, that 20% of those who go to church at least once a month, in, 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 in England anyway, said that they don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. One of the Anglican priests, you know, you mentioned the, the Catholics, and, and in England, uh, you know, the Church of England, the Anglican Church broke away from the Catholic Church centuries ago when 
I believe it was Henry VIII, uh, he wanted to divorce his wife, and the Pope said, I don't think so. And so the king said, great, I'll just start a new religion, or a new sect, a new denomination, so to speak. And so he started the Church of England, all right? And so the, uh, this is a quote from an Anglican priest. Now, let me say this. Christy and I have been in England, and we've actually worked with some Anglican churches there. And uh, this quote I'm about to read doesn't surprise me. This is from a priest, a, a, a leader, the leader of a local church, an Anglican church there. Here's what he said. His name is, uh, is Dave Tomlinson. He's the author of How to Be a Bad Christian and a Better Human Being. <laughs> All right, already red flags, right? Red flags. He said this about the resurrection of Jesus. He said, it just doesn't make sense. He said, I think it makes God out to be some kind of weird monster. But when we turn to Scripture, Scripture's really clear, isn't it? In fact, when I said the question earlier, rhetorically, <laughs> is it essential for Christians to believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Several of you said, absolutely. Because when we turn to Scripture, it's just clear. Paul said in our text last week, for instance, that Jesus' resurrection is part of the gospel, right? It's central to the gospel. You can't remove that. Think about this for just a moment. What if Paul had said this? Look, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 4. Look at verse 1 through 4 with me, that which we looked at a, a portion. We, we looked at this and some other things last week. But he says, Now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel, the good news that I preach to you which you received and which you, uh, in which you stand and by which you're being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you unless you believed in vain. And then he says this, for I delivered to you, this is the gospel he's talking about, as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now imagine this for a moment. What if he had stopped right there after he said that he was buried? Christ died and he was buried. Would there be any Christianity? No way. Absolutely not. And 1 Corinthians 15 helps us to understand that. Uh, the, the resurrection stuff, the resurrection of Jesus is the crux, y'all. It's the crux of Christianity. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you are not a Christian. And I have to say this, you know, even in my own life, you know, trying to evangelize my own children, you know, for my, and he's not in here so I can talk about him. He doesn't listen to these recordings. But Zachariah, that, I mean, that was, the, that was the sticking point for him, the resurrection of Jesus, because at that moment in his life, and, and he, he trusted Christ right after we moved here, really soon after we moved here. So, so he was eight going on nine years old, old enough to, I mean, you know, old enough to understand it. And he said, Dad, I just don't believe that people get up out of the grave until one night. One night. I, rem I still remember the night. We had actually been over to, to Mark Whitaker's house, and he and his mom, uh, I, would, I, would, I would share the gospel with him when I had the chance, and his mom, of course, would share the gospel with him when, he, when she had the chance. And we were actually uh, going over to Mark and Wendy Whitaker's house that night 
uh, just to hang out and have supper together. And, and, and they were driving down the road, Christy and Zach and the other kids. And that third day song on, came on, We Believe. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. It goes on and on. It says several things. And that song got stuck in his heart. So mom and dad's Christian music's important. Think about that, what you play around your children. And I still remember, we got home that night. It was late, about 10 o'clock. And our typical bedtime routine is, hey, go on, and go on to bed, and I'll be in there in just a little bit to pray with you and to talk with you. And I went in there that night, and actually I hadn't made it in there yet, and he yelled out, Dad, come here. And I went in there, and, and he said, I still remember, Dad, I believe it. I believe it. Something had clicked that night, and it was just beautiful, right? It was the, it's the work of God, the grace of God, but it clicked that night. I said, what do you mean believe it? He said, I believe Jesus was raised from the dead, and he gave his life to Jesus that night, okay? So it's clear. It is part of the gospel. It is necessary, but Paul's even more explicit. If you'll flip over to Romans 10, or you don't have to flip. It'll be on the screen. Philippians, I'm sorry, Romans 10, 5 through 9. Romans 10, 5 through 9, he, he gets even more explicit here when he says this. As we think about the, 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 the essential nature of the resurrection. Verses 5 through 9, he says, For Moses writes about the righteousness that's based on the law, that the person who does the commandment shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend to heaven. That's to bring Christ down. Or, or who will descend into the abyss. That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So he, he, he lays out two things right there. One, one is that we proclaim, that we say, yes, Jesus is my Lord. But there's also this internal, that yes, I believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. So it's absolutely necessary to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But as we come to our text tonight... It's interesting here, and you maybe have to infer a little bit. Maybe as you look at it, you'll infer the same thing with me here. Can you believe that Christ was raised from the dead, but not believe that we will be raised from the dead? Because that seems to be the situation that Paul's addressing here. The Corinthians, you know them, man, they were all jacked up, right? I mean, in their, in their theology, in their practice, and all this stuff. They had a lot of issues. And Paul is writing this letter to address those issues. It's those things that he had heard about that he wanted to straighten out and answer their questions. And so as you look here and you try to see the, the argument that he's making, it seems to be the situation that they thought, I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I just don't think I will one day. So we see him say this. Look here with me, verse 12. He says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? These are Christians, right? He's, he's writing this to the church. And so they believe that Christ was raised from the dead. But for some reason, 
It seems that they don't believe that we, that people, regular people like you and me, will one day rise from the grave. Why would somebody not believe in the resurrection from the dead? What, what would you say? What are some of those reasons that people say that, might say that? That's right. So it's a, it's a physical barrier that can't be crossed. Okay, that's right. So maybe they don't believe that, that, that it's, they just believe that it's impossible. Miracles don't happen, basically. Because that's a miracle, isn't it? That could be it. What else might be going on? They believe that Jesus is just a prophet. Okay, sure, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that God did that for him, but for us, I mean, he was just a prophet. He was just a man, right? It could be that they maybe have like this dualism going on where the flesh is bad and the spirit is good. A lot of the Gnostic people that Paul addresses in his letters there, they kind of had that thing going on, this dualism, where, of course, the dead aren't going to be raised physically because the body is gross, the body is, is corrupt, the body is to be left behind. So maybe there was some dualism going on there. Perhaps they were materialists. They just didn't believe that there's anything spiritual in creation, right? All they, that there is, they might say, is what you can see and touch. Maybe, though, they were also spiritualists. And when I mean spiritualists, what I mean is when it comes to the resurrection, they spiritualize it. Right? They don't believe in the physical resurrection of people. The resurrection is maybe only talking about a spiritual resurrection, what you and I would call theologically and rightly call regeneration. But they would call that resurrection. In fact, um, I, I have a family member who he calls that the resurrection. He doesn't believe there's going to be a future resurrection. So he is spiritualized the resurrection, where it's only talking about this, this spiritual resurrection, that there's no physical resurrection, all right? But that seems to be the situation here, and Paul wants to take the next few verses here. We're going to look at uh, verse 12 down through verse 34, and he's going to help us to understand that Jesus, here's tonight's takeaway, that Jesus' resurrection is the foundation for the hope of our future resurrection, so let me say that again. Jesus' resurrection is the foundation for the hope of our future resurrection. For some reason, there was a disconnect with the people here in Corinth. Yeah, we believe Jesus was raised from the dead, but we just don't think we will be. And Paul says, no, 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 they are connected. They're connected, and they cannot be disconnected, okay? They are inseparable. So Jesus' resurrection is the foundation for the hope of our future resurrection, all right? So, two points tonight. First is, is we need to understand the serious implications if it's impossible for people to be resurrected, all right? So let me say that again. We need to understand the serious implications if it's impossible for people to be raised from the dead, to be resurrected. And Paul spends a, a great deal here, right? The, this is one of the things that makes Paul tough to read sometimes, is, man, he's got these arguments, these logical arg arguments, and he just builds it one on top of one another to make this case, all right? And he points out to us seven implications, and they're serious. Every one of them are serious. Let's look at them here. 
He begins here. Verse 13. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So in other words, right here at the beginning, if people can't be resurrected, then Jesus was not resurrected. Again, they were thinking, well, Jesus can, but we can't. But he says that's impossible. If, if we can't, then Jesus can't either. Because Jesus, yes, he was God in the flesh, but nevertheless, he was fully human. He was fully human. He went through every experience, humanly speaking, that you and I go through. And if it's impossible for him, then it's impossible for us. If people cannot be resurrected, then Christ wasn't resurrected. And then he goes on. Next, he, again, he's building this case here, using a lot of conditionals here, a lot of hypotheticals. He says next, verse 14, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. In other words, another way of saying that is that we've wasted our breath. We have wasted our breath. I don't know how many sermons I've preached over the years. Uh, I mean, I, I've been preaching full-time now since 2008, so that's 11 years of full-time preaching every Sunday. Uh, at, at my last church, I preached, I preached three times a week, uh, three different services, and I uh, usually taught a disciple class on top of that. So I did a lot of teaching and preaching, okay? Um, over the years, I don't even know what that amounts to, but it's thousands of, of messages that I've delivered, okay? And think about all that time. Think about all the times that you've shared the gospel with people and you've talked about Christ and how important he is. He says, if Christ was not raised, you've wasted your breath. You've wasted your breath. In other words, this is the crux. If you don't believe this, then you've wasted your breath. But the third implication is this. If Christ wasn't resurrected, he says next, not only was our preaching in vain, but our what was vain? Faith. Our faith. In other words, you put your hope in this thing, and it's worthless. It's like putting your hope in that air out there, right? It's just here and gone. I mean, it, it, it's, it's like chasing after air. It's in vain. You'll never catch it. Your, your faith is worthless, he's saying. Impossible to save you. Because your faith was predicated on Christ rising from the dead, he says. And if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then your faith is worthless. It's useless. Not only that, he goes a step further. And he says this. We are even found, verse 15, we're even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testified about God, that he raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. We would be false witnesses. We would be liars, he says. Now, what were they, to, what were they supposed to do with people who bore false witness in the Old, in the old Covenant? Execute them. That's right. Excommunicate. Get rid of them. Stone them. If you bore false witness. So this is a big deal, right? This is a big implication that we are liars. And not only liars, notice who he says we're actually lying about. He says we're not lying about Jesus. He says we're lying about God, the Father. We're blaspheming God because we've told the world that God did something that he didn't do. That's a serious implication. Fifth, he goes a little further. 
just keeps raising the ante every time, right? You've wasted your breath. Your faith is useless. You're a liar. But then he gets even further here, and he says this. Look at it with me here in, in, in uh, let's see. Raise Christ in Right here it is, verse 17. Look at verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. He's already said that. Now verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. He's already said that. But then he adds, an, he ups the ante here and he says, and you're still in your what? Sins. That means if Christ was not raised from the dead, you are lost. And I am lost. Guys, this is a huge implication here. That means if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, we're hopeless and our future is nothing but fire and brimstone. God, the righteous judge, has no other option than to punish us and give us what we deserve if Christ was not raised. Not only that, but he goes a step further and, and, and this time he kind of he aims more, a little bit more at the heart. He's been aiming at the head, but then he moves to the heart here and he says this. He says, then also, verse 18, then those also, if Christ has not been resurrected, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. He says, yeah, I'm talking about you, but I'm also talking about your mama, your dad, your granny, your papa, all those that died believing in Christ if he was not resurrected, then they, right now, are burning in hell. That, 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 that's aiming at the heart here, isn't it? He, he's trying to raise the, the heart of the emotion at this point. Then our dead Christian loved ones are lost also. And then the seventh implication here, if Christ wasn't resurrected, he says it this way. Verse 16, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. In other words, we are the most pitiful people in the world if Christ was not raised. We have been living a lie. We've been telling a lie. We've been living a lie. We've been hoping in a lie. Skip down to verse 29 because he, he kind of leaves this for a moment and then comes back and says some more about this, about being this pitiful, this, 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 the most pitiful people in the world. And he uses some, some arguments here. Verse 29, he says, Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead if the dead are not raised at all? Why are people being baptized on their behalf? Why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers. By my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. But what do I gain? If humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Now, when he thinks about being people, the most pitiful people in the world, he, he kind of points to, to a few different things here. He talks about the baptism of the dead. In other words, we're the most pitiful people in the world because we're doing things... These, these actions, these rites that don't amount to a hill of beans, you're wasting your time. Now, what was the baptism of the dead? I don't know. <laughs> I, I, but I do know what it is not, okay? 
Baptism uh, of the dead does not mean that you can go and be baptized for somebody who's already dead so that they could be saved, okay? It does not mean that. Uh, you know, reading and trying to understand what this is, even the best scholars really don't know what he's talking about here. Uh, so he's not commending. He's not saying, hey, Eastwood, you should be baptized for the dead, okay? He's just saying this is a practice that kind of goes on sometimes. He doesn't give us any detail what it is. He's just making a statement that it is. But he's saying, why would anybody even do that if there's no resurrection from the dead? But not only that, he says this. Why would I put myself in harm's way? I, I, I'm the most pitiful person in the world. I'm putting myself in harm's way by fighting beasts there at Ephesus. Whether they were literal beasts, you know, maybe he was in the Colosseum and wild beasts, he had to fight them. Or maybe he's just talking about a, a human opponents who acted like wild beasts. Whichever one it is, he got tore up. Yeah. Okay, yeah, great, thank you. So, yeah, that, that, and that probably is what it actually is talking about there, where it's, it's people, opponents, that he had to fight with, and he used the metaphorical term beasts here. But not only that, think about this for a moment. And this is where the world looks at us and says, this is, this is why y'all are crazy. He says, if Christ was not raised, we're the most pitiful people in the world because we're missing out on the real fun if Christ was not raised. If Christ wasn't raised, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Live it up. And here we are refraining from stuff and being disciplined and saying no to pleasures that the flesh might enjoy. If Christ is not raised, then we're pitiful. We have missed out on what this world has to offer, what this life has to offer. So those are serious implications. Yeah, Shannon. Um, don't the Catholics believe in praying for people who died? Uh, they do, yeah. That's true. Yeah, so, so, so yeah, so Roman Catholics ha have a false teaching called purgatory. And so purgatory is for those who trusted in Christ but still had some sin to pay for. So for uh, whatever happened in their life, in Roman Catholicism, Heretical, 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 okay? In Roman Catholicism, uh, Christ's death only pays for some of your sins. It doesn't pay for all of it. You have to pay for your sins too, okay? And so basically he gets you out of hell, but then you have to be purged. That's what purgatory means. It means purged. And so you got to kind of work your way through purgatory, and eventually one day you get out, Roman Catholics believe, and then you get to experience heaven, Okay? Um, and so, yeah, they, they light candles for the dead. They pray for the dead. They uh, buy indulgences for the dead. They do all sorts of things to try to get them more quickly out of purgatory and into heaven. Uh, we know that to be a false teaching. Yes? I had a brother that was killed in a car accident yeah. by a truck driver. Mm -hmm. And I had an uncle that was Roman Catholic. And some of his family gave to my parents as a gift that there would be prayers prayed for my brother. Oh. oh, wow. That's interesting even think about giving it as a gift that I will pray for you. Yeah, interesting, interesting. So, yeah, that's right. You're right. So, but here's the truth of it, guys. And that gets us to the second thing here. The second point that you need to see tonight is that Jesus Christ's resurrection 
is not only proof that it's possible for people to be resurrected, but also the assurance that we will be resurrected, okay? Because he says very clearly, look at it here with me. Back here in, in, uh, let me find it, right here in, in verse 20. He says, but in fact, he's been doing all this hypothetical stuff, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He has been, right? It's not an if. It's a since he has been raised from the dead. And that changes everything that we just said, right? That changes everything. Christ was resurrected, so we're not wasting our breath. Christ was resurrected, so our faith is not useless. Christ was resurrected from the dead, so we're not liars. Christ was resurrected from the dead, so we are not lost if we've trusted in Christ, Christ was resurrected, and so our dead loved ones who died in the faith are safe in the arms of Jesus. And if Christ was, or since Christ was resurrected, then we're not the people who are to be pitied. We are the people to be envied, right? We are the ones who have hope. That's what he's saying here. He flips it around and and gets rid of these hypotheticals and says, no, here's the truth, though. Christ's resurrection is proof that it is possible for people to be resurrected. His resurrection is proof that you and I will be resurrected. Not only that, though, he goes a step further after that, and he says, not only that, but it's also the assurance. So there's one thing between can, and then there's a difference in will, right? We can be resurrected, but he says, no, no, not only can you be resurrected, but you will be. There's an assurance that we will be resurrected. Look again at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits. In other words, the down payment, the deposit. For those who have fallen asleep, in other words, those who have died, They will one day rise. For as by a man came death. Who is that? Who's the man that death came through? Adam. But he says this. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive but each in its own order. Christ, the first fruits. He's the down payment. He's the deposit. It's like when you go to buy a house and you have to give the person you're going to give the house to, you give them that earnest check, right? Here's the earnest check. I'm laying down the money and more of it's going to come here in just a moment, right? And so that's what Jesus is. He's our earnest check saying it's coming. Just hold on. Here's the down payment, the deposit. But he just order, and then the end comes when he delivers, listen to this, when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father, verse 24, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power, verse 25, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be, to be destroyed is what? Death. The last enemy is death. Not only can you be resurrected, you will be resurrected, absolutely assured in Jesus 
Christ. And it's interesting here. I, I, I do want to make sure that we know that when he says all will be resurrected, that all means every single person. Every single person will be resurrected. There will not be a person who will not be resurrected. Now we get that. You say, well, I thought just the Christians were resurrected. Well, Jesus tells us this. Go with me to John 5, verse 25. John 5, verse 25. Jesus says this, reading down through verse 29. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he's granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he's given authority to execute judgment because he's the son of man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good, or in other words, those who have trusted Christ to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil, those who have rejected the grace of God, who have lived in their sin, who are still connected to their sins, to the resurrection of judgment. All right? So one day, every person who has ever lived, we can be assured because of Jesus' resurrection, will one day be resurrected. But that resurrection will be unto two different destinations. Okay? One to the new heavens and new earth, the eternal heavens and the eternal earth, and the other one, to eternal hell, all right? The lake of fire, um, so on and so forth. You can call it different things here, okay? But I think this is just so interesting, so interesting. But let's focus on those of us who are Christians. There is no doubt in my mind you will one day physically rise from the dead. You will physically rise from the dead. Now he goes on, and we'll get to this next week. What's that gonna be like? Right? That's what we want to know. I mean, my goodness, will I have, you know, will I have abs of steel? Will I <laughs> we wanna will all my hair be there? I mean, can I jump and dunk a basketball? You know, I mean we want to know all these things, right? Well, he gets he gets to some of that next week. Okay, now he doesn't mention about dunking a basketball. But I think I'll be able to. I really do. <laughs> but nevertheless, one day, guys, you will have that glorified resurrection body. One day, this earth will be as, it'll be as physical as it is now. We often think, again, you know, so many of the old hymns we used to sing just talk about heaven like it's this ethereal floating in the clouds playing the harp sort of thing forevermore and that's not the case at all the new heavens and the new earth is physical and you and I will have that physical body to enjoy because to be a human see dualism I mentioned dualism earlier dualism says that flesh is bad and spirit is good body bad spirit good 
But to be a human being, both body and spirit are good because God made them both. And to be a human being is to have both. And one day, already if you're in Christ, you have been regenerated. You've been given that new spirit, that alive spirit. You've had that awakening in you. And right now you're in that in-between time. But one day, your body will match your spirit. It will be resurrected and made new. Here's my conclusion. May we build our hope on the firm foundation, on the firm foundation of Christ's resurrection. It is a firm foundation. Hi there, this is Pastor Ben. I have something really important to ask you, but first, I want to say thank you for taking the time to make this digital connection with us through our podcast. I hope the message you just listened to was a blessing, but an even greater blessing than this digital connection would be for you to connect with us in person this coming Sunday at one of Eastwood's two campuses where we get the joy of living life together in Jesus' name. And now for that really important question, which is the most important question you'll ever answer. Where do you stand before God? Now, based on what you've done, the straightforward answer is that you stand guilty and condemned before God. You are a sinner who completely deserves God's wrath forevermore in hell. And I deserve the same thing also. I mean, every person does. Guys, that's terrible news. And even worse is the fact that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to change that. You need a Savior. But I have good news. God loved the world so much that he sent Jesus to be your savior. Jesus came and lived the perfect life that you cannot live. And he stood condemned on the cross, dying the death you deserve. And three days later, Jesus was raised from the dead to prove to everybody that he is indeed the savior of the world. And now Jesus longs to change your standing before God by making a trade with you. He desires to take what you've earned, which is the wrath of God in hell, and to give you in return what he has earned, which is the blessing of God in heaven. When this trade happens, instead of standing guilty and condemned before God, you will stand forgiven and righteous with the promise of everlasting life. So what must you do to have your standing before God changed? First, admit to God you are a sinner. Second, hate your sins. Turn from them and ask God to forgive you. And finally, turn to Jesus in faith and love, putting your complete hope in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and follow him until the day you die. Wherever you are listening to this podcast, Jesus is ready to make this trade with you. And I pray that you would trust in Jesus and be saved. Thank you again for connecting with us, and I hope to see you soon at Eastwood Baptist Church.